music is, is playing. So. You know, you always say that, but there's like, you can't hear it. You can't hear it. I can hear it. Do you have headphones? No, I just hear them constantly. It's just a rhythm that won't stop. It can't stop. It, it doesn't stop. It does loop. All right. Well, with that, welcome to the Video Reformation Podcast. I'm Ben. I'm Justin. We are the uh, co-founders of Storyboard Media and your hosts on this lovely little podcast here where we just talk about video bettering. Videoing better? Video bettering? No. Um, how to video better. How to video better. Um, today, we are going to be talking about post-production. This kind of continues our, our recent episodes. We talked about uh, pre-production a couple episodes ago. We... we Maybe over-talked really about production in the pre-production episode, and so talked about types of videos in the last episode instead of talking about what production looks like. Uh, our bad. Uh, definitely go back and listen to the pre-production episode, because that covers a lot of pre-production and production stuff. But we did some prep today, so I feel good about We did. Not only did we on do prep one. on what we're talking about today, we also have something keyed up for the end where we set up the next episode, mm. which I don't think we've ever really done before. Mm-hmm. Now, before we get to all of that wonderful talk about post-production, we, of course, have to uh, thank our sponsor. Let's do it. We have a new sponsor this week. Today's Uh, sponsor break is sponsored by... Today's sponsor break is sponsored by Storyboard Media. Okay. But the sponsor is... And, you know, sometimes sometimes the sponsorship agreement includes that we write the copy for the ads. Sometimes the client requires that they provide the copy for our ads. This is one of those. Where they, they Where come. they require that, that, they, yeah. that we use their copy. Yeah, okay. Um, so we'll see how this one goes. <clears throat> Bone spurs, plantar fasciitis, Morton's neuroma, foot pain like a runaway train, try Soul Asylum. Orthotics and insoles priced so low it's insane. Visit our website for a location near you, soulasylum.net, that's S-O-L-E-A-S-Y-L-U-M dot net. Click on the microphone in the corner and type in storyboard for a special offer. Soul Asylum. Well, I think we should write all of these. We shouldn't rely on the, the client to provide the copy. They had that pun. It was like, it was okay. Yeah. I suppose it probably lands better if you're a child of the early 90s. Yeah. That wasn't Soul Asylum, but that's okay. (laughs) That's fine. Uh, Clearly not a child of the early 90s. Um, Who was that? That was uh, Collective Soul. Soul. Yes. Which could have been another uh, insert. That could just be, yeah. That's a, but soul was there, yeah. So it could be Collective Soul, shared in souls and orthotics. But this is Soul Asylum. Our inthol, in our intholes, our orthotics and insoles priced so low it's insane. I get it. I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So for me, it's personal because I did grow up with Soul Asylum yeah. as like one of those, like as an impressionable twelve or thirteen year old when yeah. you're kind of setting your musical preferences. This is one where you seeked them out. Yes. Yes, because it's who I use because I do suffer from plantar fasciitis. Dude. I don't know what Morton's neuroma is, and, but and you you've know. always had a very elegant gait, so it must be yes. The it's, it's all thanks to Solasol. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I don't want to spoil what the special gift is when you click on the microphone in the corner and type in storyboard, but it is a very special gift that, you know, really makes the sponsorship a, you know, a true partnership. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, so maybe we'll be able to convince them at this point to let us write some of their copy uh, if they ever come back as a sponsor. Sure. But, you know, these are week by week things. You never really know. You don't, you don't know. I mean, our week is basically one Scramble hour recording. <laughs> yeah, one hour recording the podcast, and then the remaining hours of the week is who can we get to sponsor? And, and visiting their factories yes. or their workplaces. Yes. And yeah. Well, and I was surprised how Soul Asylum's <coughs> factory doesn't smell like feet, which is just, it's kind of that new feet smell. Like baby feet? Um, sure. More like new shoes, but baby feet okay. also also works. Okay. Yep. Okay. Well, thanks to our sponsor, Soul Asylum. Not that one. The other one. Um, so, we've already set up that we'll be talking about post-production today. So, I think it makes sense to... Um, do that. To do that. Um, I think what, the way that we've kind of planned this out is we're going to talk a little bit about what a kind of a typical post-production process looks like or what a post-production looks like for maybe a typical live action um, uh, video or videos. Um, and then there are a couple opportunities where we really want to share um, what it takes to be a good client and kind of what to expect, um, what to provide your video producer, what to ask them if they're not providing it, things like that. So there's a little bit in here for, um, for video producers um, and just kind of how we work um, the revisions process and, and kind of through those versions. But there's also some stuff in here for, uh, for our other audience that's, that's clients. So um, let's start by talking a little bit about how post-production connects to the strategy. There's just like with everything else that we've discussed so far, a lot of it is just an execution of that strategy. Mm -hmm. So what might be some of the strategic decisions you've already made at any of the previous stages, whether it be the strategy, pre-production or, or production itself, where we've already kind of made decisions? One thing you want to keep in mind is, that, well, at least we do this with a lot of our campaigns. We'll create anchor content, mm -hmm. which is the, the, the core piece, the core video that you ultimately want your audience to see. Um, and from that, you may create some other more promotional type pieces that kind of tease, it's more of a setup for the payoff in the, in the full anchor piece. Um, so this is something that you can start to uh, define what those, um, what those teasers or those, those promo pieces are in the writing process and start to pull that out. Um, sometimes you have to kind of wait to see what it looks like too. So as you start ingesting footage and, and sometimes things just happen on set that are kind of magical. Yeah. And you'll use some of that. So um, that's something you want to be keep in mind as you're going through. Uh, this post-production post-production process. What are what's our anchor content? What's our promo content? Also, what are the um, the the variety of ways that we'll be sending out this video? Is it through email? Do we need uh, animated gifs for email campaigns? Of course, he means gifs when he says gifs. No, like the um, the graphic, like the it's a dot gif file dot gif graphic interchange format yeah where things move around yeah 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 gif 
Okay. Um, I'd like to hear from our audience on that one. Sure. Okay. Um, and you know, how many how many of those do you need? Uh, those those thumbnails, etc. What else are you thinking? Um, I think uh, I, yeah. I think mainly for me it was you know that there's probably an anchor piece of content. There's the promotional content, so that's not a surprise. That's something you've already decided. It's something you've already shot. Um, CTAs, right? When you're going in and, and whether you're baking in CTAs with titles, that's stuff that you've already established at this point, so you're not necessarily making those decisions. Now, any strategy disclaimer probably includes that things can change. So there can certainly, from when you wrote out the scripts and, and even wrote out the strategic concept where you might even be planning out what your CTAs are, things can certainly change. But you're, you're kind of just, if you're organizing it properly, you're basically just following a punch list of your editing, your calls to action, your promo pieces, your anchor content. Um, and then of course all those, uh, we'll talk more about it in our next episode, distribution, but all those other pieces that go along with uh, delivering uh, those deliverables. Mm -hmm. So yeah, basically the point being that you're not making a whole lot of decisions at this point, you're just executing. Mm -hmm. So I like to kind of define post-production like it's something I do on a regular basis. I decided to define post-production for the purposes of this episode as basically anyth anything between when the director says wrap on set through that deliverables package of your MP4 files, your thumbnails, your descriptions, those kinds mm -hmm. of things kind of handed off to the client or from the video producer, depending on which side of the table you're sitting on. Um, and I think the reason that it, that it makes sense to start with that rap moment is because so much of this is about managing and organizing data. Mm -hmm. And from that shoot, you've got to start offloading and organizing all of the data that was captured on your camera cards and audio uh, cards and stuff like that. And keeping that stuff organized is a huge and part safe. of the process and safe. You cannot have too many duplicates of this stuff. You know, we always talk about how we should have an off-site uh, archive of everything. Mm -hmm. and Cloud. You know, cloud. Something. I mean, there should be backups of your backups of your backups. Uh, if, as a producer, you're handing off footage to an editor, don't give them the only drive that, that, that those files live yeah. on. God forbid they get in a car accident on the way back to their office or home or whatever. I mean always give them a copy of stuff and, and hopefully you've got two copies too. But keeping it organized is, is another key also, especially if you're handing it off to an editor. Don't just give them, you know, card dumps mm -hmm. where it's all of this disorganized footage. Go ahead and, and break it down into footage, audio, sound effects, graphics. And why is that in a multi-phase post-production process, why is that important? Well, it's often important because there are multiple people involved. You could have um, an editor editing, handing it off to an animator to put in animations, titles, kinetic typography, whatever. Uh, it then gets routed to a sound person to do sweetening for sound. So color. the more organized color, the more organized it is, the more people who end up with it, they're all working from the same mm -hmm. stuff instead of, um, and, and I think that goes to, to freelance editors and animators and color correctors and audio people too. If you're handed organized footage, whatever you add to it, keep it organized. If you want to know, if you're uh, you know on the client side of this and you want to know how good of a team you're working with, how experienced of a team you're working with, look at their file structure on their on their hard drives. Yeah. It's very clear to, you know, 
do these people think clearly? Are they organized? Are they considerate? Um, all those things are very obvious when you look at the file structure. Yeah. Because there either is one or there isn't. Or it's just all like half-baked as you go along like, oh, let's set up a folder for this, and but it's buried in a GIF. You mean a GIF? Yeah, that's what I meant. Um, oh, it just felt weird saying. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and it you know every um, every company and every freelancer um, has their own method, but if you are a freelancer, use the agency's organization method. Um, if you are an agency, set up an organization method and you know say this is how we're gonna mm. you know archive this stuff. I you know uh, can't tell you how many times we've handed off an organized drive to an editor or an animator and a wow an editor or an animator and gotten back a drive with all of those files organized exactly the way we put it and then a whole bunch of stuff just in the root of the folder. That doesn't help us keep mm -hmm. track of this at all. So uh, just kind of pro tip for freelancers out there also. So once you've got everything kind of duplicated and, and organized and, and handed off, it's probably going to an editor first. Yeah. Um, and ideally that editor is working from one of two different versions of a paper edit. Yeah, so what's a paper edit? I was gonna bring So that. a paper edit, to, to my mind, and I think you brought up a good point that a script can be a paper edit basically, but, um, but a paper edit is basically something that's used a lot in the unscripted or um, documentary style, mm -hmm. where, you know, it, it, we've already talked about how you pre-interview your subjects, you know what you want them talking about, so you've got kind of targeted points that you've got them making, but then you go back, a, a structure to the questions, so that you're not just, you know, missing opportunities to around, suss out the yeah. story or, you know, getting a whole lot of footage that, you know, as a shooter, you're like, well, I'm not editing it, so I don't have to go through this, so who cares if there's three hours of interview footage yeah. here? Somebody cares. Um, but, you know, a paper edit would then be, you know, probably going back through the transcripts of those interviews and uh, potentially even just the raw footage of those interviews and going and for the editor, or if you're the editor, going through and making the selections of the little sound bites that you want to use to craft your narrative. And so you essentially script out your narrative on paper and then you go find those clips mm -hmm. because any good transcript is timestamped. So you get to go find, it's easy to find those clips. You drop them into your timeline. It then works just like a script. If you've got a script, a scripted piece, and you had a script supervisor on set and they're marking, you know, your script is one thing to work from, but then they're probably marking best takes. Mm -hmm. You know, don't use the first three takes because we changed the script to, you know, these words or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you've got those as a guide uh, as an editor to then put in that kind of narrative structure and set that first. I think, I mean, I started as an editor and that was always something that, that made the most sense to me because your message and the story that you're telling, that narrative, that's the most important part. Once you set that and make those selections, then you can build everything around mm -hmm. it. Yeah, you can't start any anywhere else but having that structure in place. Uh, so that there are, there are different a variety of types of shoots, but either scripted or unscripted. And the first step is to make sure you've got that structure in place. After post-production and you've, you've stored everything, um, you know, 
organized it all, backed it up. Your first thing is to get that structure in place. So uh, in Premiere or Final Cut, Final Cut or GarageBand, <laughs> iMovie. Um, that's what I meant. Yeah. Um, what does that look like then? It's just a bunch of it's it's your your one take right all the way across. Yeah. It it's so yeah. it's it's multiple clips of the best take of each line. Sure. Um, you know, some depending on the tone of the piece, it may make sense to have the longest segments without a cut. So you may be able to get in four lines without making a cut. That's not not as good <clears throat> as maybe four individual cuts, but it makes more sense to not cut. But basically, you're looking for each line, the best take of each of those lines. Um, they do have to match. You mm -hmm. know, if you even if you're working with professional talent, that energy level can can. Mm -hmm you know, be totally different on take three than it is on take seven. Yep, there's energy continuity, there's wardrobe continuity, there's a lot of things that you have to consider beyond just that line. Yep, um, so, uh, you know, and then if you're doing a multi-camera shoot, technically speaking, you're, you're kind of, you know, making the right selections and then you can go back into your camera selections for your cuts. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think at, at that point, um, you can kind of watch the thing from beginning to end and get a sense for the pacing, the message, the overall tone and feel of it. Even yep. if, even if in a multicam, uh, you may go back and change certain angles and and change, you know, maybe where something cuts. A couple frames here and uh, there. Yeah, that's you know, once you've kind of got something, that's where you're going to want to then go in and do that fine work. But you don't want to do any of that fine work because it can be time consuming without getting approval from the client at that point mm -hmm. to say this is what I like is the content cut here mm -hmm. can you approve this content cut so that I can go into the more time intensive yeah. work working from at least the right takes and the right lines so as a client there are certain things you should be looking for in a content cut mm -hmm. um, what if I'm the client what am I supposed to be doing here well, you're supposed to be doing whatever the agency or production company asks of you in the feedback. So just like if you want to know how good a company you're working with, um, you look at their file structure, how well are they limiting the scope of your revisions at each stage? Or just coaching you, you know? Yeah. Um, so ideally, you're getting a link to a cut, whether it be on a Google Drive or, you know, in Frame.io or something like that for you to review and that goes along with here's what we want you to pay attention to because there's a whole lot without that training as a client I could just watch it and say oh this looks really desaturated well that's <laughs> because we haven't done any color work yet or uh, you know there's a watermark in the music that you chose what what is it saying in the background mm -hmm. of the music that's weird well that's just there because as an agency I'm not going to pay for the license for music until the client has approved it so to get those, you know, comp copies, it has like an audio watermark where it says premiumbeat.com every 15 mm -hmm. seconds or mm -hmm. Soundstripe every seven seconds. Um, so as an agency, I need to tell my client that don't worry about the watermark in the audio. Don't worry about the color. We're gonna get to color correction later. Don't worry about, just focus on the takes that were used, that the wording is right, and that you like the arc of the narrative. Mm -hmm. If it's a scripted project, you've already had client input and approval 
on storyboards, mm -hmm. on scripts. Mm -hmm. They were likely on set mm -hmm. and were barely participating on set and, you know, pointing out yep. any inconsistencies or, and, or things like that. And the best laid plans, I forget the rest of the line. The best laid plans of Mice and Men often go awry? Yeah, so at any point, things can go to shit during the shoot. Or just you happy accidents and you see something and you're like, oh, let's do it this way. But that's why the, even if you've already got script locked before you shoot, things change. And so that's, I mean, things change and things happen. Yep. And that's why we've got a content cut, is to make sure that yep. before we do any of the final details, this is this is the most important piece. This is our message. This is the this delivery. Is the foundation. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so as a client, you know, kind of, it's going to sound dickish, but, you know, stay in your lane. Like give the feedback, give the only give feedback that was asked for. Um, and if there aren't any parameters on that, ask before you review it, ask your producer, hey, what do you want me to comment on here? Mm -hmm. um, so I would, as a client, expect to be given those boundaries. And if I don't get them, feel free to ask. And then you'll hear back, oh yeah, just want to you know, establish that these are the right takes, this delivery is right, this pacing feels right, whatever it is that they say at that point. And, and not worry about anything else because you'll have an opportunity to review those in the next cut. Mm -hmm. So since we're talking about feedback, as a client, how, how would you frame your, your feedback? Is, are there certain do's and don'ts? Yeah. Like you've been given your, your guardrails, but... Definitely. Okay. Yeah. I, I think there are probably two main points I would make. Um, the first is if there's more than one person, as a client, if there's more than one person in your organization who needs to provide feedback at this point, well, let me back up. Ideally, if you've gotten it to the, to the point where enough people have had, had input along in the process that they're either familiar with the project if they're providing feedback at this point, or they don't need to provide any more feedback. Because the more people that you have providing feedback, the more opportunity for conflict mm -hmm. you're gonna get in your notes. So as the primary point of contact with your video agency, you need to be curating and funneling all of that organizational feedback through yourself. And it's not just compiling feedback. We've gotten feedback from clients before where there's, it gets sent to our primary contact, they've gotta run it up and get you know their boss and two other people's feedback. So there's four people's notes. You can see some of it's blue, some of it's in New Times Roman. Sure, It's yeah. all copied and pasted. You can totally see, but then, you know, and so they did the job of putting it all in one email, at least. But, but take that next step and actually read through everyone's feedback because I can't tell you how many times we've gotten that type of feedback where they took the first step and compiled it all and we didn't at least get four separate emails from mm -hmm. different people about it. Um, but they compiled it all, but they didn't take into consideration what everybody's feedback were and so there are conflicting notes. So some person may say at 37 seconds, I don't like this clip or is there a better take? And someone else could literally say, I love that take at 37 seconds. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's maybe because you took a creative risk. One of the, maybe it was that happy accident that happened mm -hmm. on set, right? And somebody decided to sing out a line instead of just say it mm -hmm. as scripted. And one person reviewing it likes it and the other doesn't. Your job as that primary point of contact with your video agency is to 
take those two pieces of feedback and decide which one we're going to go with and pass that one decision or one recommendation mm-hmm. on to the agency. The other key point is, and I said there were two, I realize there are now actually three. The second key point... Dang it, I thought I was going to get you on that. Yeah. So the, the second key point is to pose problems rather than solutions. Okay. So instead of saying replace the clip at 37 seconds with another take, which is a solution, mm-hmm. tell me what's the pro- what problem do you have with the take at 37 mm-hmm. seconds? Because it could be a camera angle and not the line itself. Exactly. It could be a camera angle. It could be, you know. Maybe we'll it, cover that up with a shot. Yeah. Re- replace the shot at 37 seconds. And the reason is because I can see the boom arm shadow mm-hmm. or whatever. Okay, well, I'll keep the same take. I'll just go to a different angle. Or, or garbage or, man or, it out or yeah, something. Yeah, or whatever. Um, so, I, I, and I think people's, people's default, and I only say this because I think people's default is to try to offer a solution. Mm-hmm. But Which, this is a case where the people you've hired are much better at doing this stuff than you are. Yep. They've also seen all the takes at this point and you haven't, you're only seeing the take that was selected. Um, and so it just gives the experts a better opportunity to either justify a creative decision, right? I did that because this thing is kind of bland and that gives it a little bit of personality. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, well that makes sense. Yeah, that's a good. Um, so yes, problems not solutions, basically. Mm-hmm. Let, let the experts figure out what the appropriate solution is and offer those yep. as options. And then I think the third point is keep to your deadlines yep. as a client. Um, as much as you may want your video partner to only have you as a client, they likely have other clients. And so part of a video agency or producer's job is to um, is to schedule their freelancers and staff um, to get maximum work out of them, and that involves setting schedules for certain work to be done. So if, just like when I say, here's the feedback I'm looking for on this cut, as a video agency, I I should also say, and I need that feedback by noon next Wednesday. A lot of the stuff has probably been set up during project kickoff or sure. something so that it's not, it shouldn't be a surprise no. to the client. No. And and if you can, as a video agency, if you can set up a standard turnaround time, mm-hmm. you give them a week or you give them three business days or whatever. I mean, we've gotten into a, in, uh, a rhythm with some of our clients where we deliver cuts on Fridays and expect feedback by end of day the following Wednesday, you know, three business days. Mm-hmm. So we just kind of got into that groove. Um, so, but if I'm expecting as an agency feedback by the end of the day Wednesday, that probably means that I've got my editor, animator, whomever, with time blocked off Thursday and Friday to make those revisions mm-hmm. or to continue editing. Mm-hmm. And so if I don't get that feedback back from the client until Thursday or Friday, then the work that I have that editor scheduled to do on Monday is still gonna be done on Monday and you're probably gonna go to the end of the, the line yep. in terms of, and so that affects timelines and so often, there are hard timelines, hard deadlines for, for good this reasons. stuff. Not because they're uh, agency or whoever's being a jerk. Right, right. It's just I, I, you know, I've got Anthony scheduled to be keying this footage Thursday and Friday so that it can be handed off to Brian 
so that he can start animating over the weekend so that we can deliver those cuts by the end of the following yeah, week. Because our animator is going on vacation the following week. Exactly. Like things you just, some things you just can't. Yep. And Anthony's got to be editing this project starting next week, so he's got to be done editing by Friday on this project. And, and so that, that's why there are deadlines, and that's mm -hmm. why, as a client, you really need to hit those deadlines. Um, okay, so as a client, I've gotten the content cut. Yep. I've compiled all the feedback from within my organization. I've curated that list. Yep. I've shared it with my video agency. I've made decisions on conflicting notes and I've handed that feedback back. What happens next? Um, those changes need to be made. Okay. And approval needs to be sought. Um, most of our, <laughs> the way we always frame it is it may be your first time seeing this, but we always frame it as, here's your content cut for approval. <laughs> yes. Uh, assuming that we've made the best choices strategically, artistically, um, this is what we think is best. Tell us we're wrong if you if you can, but we, we would expect that this is, because we've gone through you know the whole strategic process. We've yes. gone through scripts, several rounds of revisions there. We've done storyboards, shot lists, all those things. This is, again, just execution of everything else that you've laid out up until this point. So there shouldn't be a lot of surprises. Sometimes no. there are, but that's where, you know, we'll make the changes and get approval on that round. But I, And I think we've seen that. I mean, in our transition from a straight up production company to a video agency, the more involved we are with our clients through the process, the less revisions and notes yeah. we actually get from our clients, yeah. um, which was kind of an unintended consequence mm -hmm. uh, of that. But but you're right. I mean, one, we're, we're more of a partner with our clients than just someone who comes in as a video vendor to execute this thing that has been mandated. We get to see this through their eyes a lot of the time. Yeah, and, and that familiarity with the client helps us make better. I mean, so the, the strategic part helps us make better creative decisions, but the familiarity in those long-term relationships with clients helps us make the decisions that are right for their brand, even if they don't know it, oftentimes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I approved the content cut. What kind? Of, so it's back in the production company's hands. Okay. What's gonna happen next? I mean, a lot of things could happen next depending on what we're working with. Um, it could go to an animator to to get some of that work done. If it has green screen, then probably one of the next one of the very next steps is probably going to be keying out all that green screen, mm -hmm. setting your you know doing all the matte work. Um, could be color, could be sound. I'm, depends where you want to go with this one. I I, I think uh, if uh, if it's unscripted, if it's that kind of documentary style. Mm -hmm. You, you probably haven't put any B-roll at this point in, right? right. You've used kind of interview clips and yeah. you're almost using them as just audio files mm -hmm. to say this is the narrative. So once I got, you know, kind of audio lock, story lock, as an editor, then I'd go in and start putting B-roll in. Now, the reason I wouldn't necessarily do that before is because hunting through B-roll can be a very time-consuming process. Mm -hmm. And so if we're going to take out a 12-second gap and, re uh, you know, a 12-second block, for example, and remove <coughs> the part where the subject is talking about, you know, their childhood or mm -hmm. whatever, then the reason that I didn't put any B-roll in there is because all of the time that I would have spent looking for that childhood B-roll, 
would have been wasted time anyway. Mm -hmm. So now that I've got that content lock, I can actually go in and and I don't have to look for any childhood B-roll because we decided to take that part out. Mm -hmm. So I can start putting in the B-roll into places and start covering up the cuts between the interview, kind of pace all that stuff properly, mm -hmm. put in topical B-roll, that kind of thing. This is the phase where I would do that. Mm -hmm. um, and so that that's really why that content, and maybe here's the fourth note about, about providing feedback is, it, it's it's kind of like speak now or forever hold your peace. Like if I want approval on a content cut, as a client, the worst thing you can do is on the next revision, go back a step. Go back a step and say, you know what? I don't I don't think we want this twelve second part in there about so and so. I mean, they never right to say it, right. but, it, but it's going to it's, make. It's going to throw things off. Yes, you have to it's understand. not going to be as efficient as possible. So don't just get this content cut and think, oh, this seems fine. And not, I'll yeah. know better when I see the rest of the piece. Yeah. Because there's nothing more frustrating as an editor or as a producer to get content that their feedback that should have been addressed earlier later on. It's and that's like, why it's so important to define the content you're looking for and basically be like, so we're good. This is the this is what's <coughs> going to be said. Great. Because so many then creative and technical decisions get made based on that. Mm -hmm. Imagine if you were animating something in that was text coming in at the same time as somebody saying something, for example. That's actually kind of time consuming to mm -hmm. animate that in mm -hmm. properly. And so that could take uh, an animator half a, day. You know, half a day. And that's four hours that somebody's got to pay for. Um, and if you say, you know what, I don't think we need that part in there. After that has been done, then then that's just that's just time and money that's been wasted. Mm -hmm. um, so it's almost like when you when you go out sledding as a little kid, your your parents say, all right, well, do you need to go potty? No, I don't need to go nope. potty. And then you get all you know, they dress you up, get all your 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 all your hats, your mittens, your snow pants and your long underwear <clears throat> all that stuff and then in that order <laughs> and then and then you you gotta go pee and, and then you're like okay let's go let's go to the sledding hill it's like i gotta and go what's to worse is everyone's standing there in like just dripping sweat inside waiting for this kid to go pee and everyone's pissed off mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's no time to sled anymore and then but yeah so i mean for someone who hasn't been involved in editing before Maybe they're parents a, and they can understand. It's a lot like sledding. <laughs> I feel like you had a personal story there. Like, I could see your eyes welling up. I feel like you were just kind of going back into a personal mm. experience. No. And I suppose that's I one of the benefits. I let my parents down a lot. Of, so, I mean, well, and you still are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I assume, based yeah. on my own life. I, I get told as a disappointment yeah. just this weekend. Yeah. yeah. That's great. <laughs> you don't want to go too long without hearing that from your parents. Keep you grounded. What are you gonna do with your life? What? I yeah, I own a business. Yeah. You okay. own half a business. <laughs> Come back to me when you own the whole thing. Um well, that took a turn. <laughs> uh, okay, so so um we're putting in B-roll, we're animating, we're maybe doing uh, a pass at color, uh we're putting in some music if we haven't already put in music. Um and then, of course, once we've got it to, and, and I think here's a note for the, for the agencies and producers out there. The next version that we like to, to ideally give a client is a version that could be published at that point. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so this is essentially a we think we're done uh, cut. Mm -hmm. But it's an opportunity now to see a whole lot more, right? You're seeing the B-roll for the first time. You're seeing the animations for the first time. You're getting to hear the music. Yeah, all, like, all those things. All timed out. And so it becomes more of this, you know, whole video. Um, so again, when you get this cut, I think the agency should be delineating what type of feedback they're looking mm -hmm. for. Here's what we've done. We've added this. Yep, look we, for we this. We did this here. Keep an eye out for this. We thought this would be kind of cool. Do you like this? Mm -hmm. Those kinds of things. And then I think all the same rules apply mm -hmm. as a yeah. client, right? Every Just, time you're going through revisions, those, those apply. Um, you know, and, and if you, you know, another thing for a video agency, if, if you can say at this point, we are going to make a final pass at color because that's, again, super time consuming and, and mm -hmm. doesn't, you know, doesn't need to happen until we know all the shots we're going to use. Mm -hmm. If we end up replacing half of our B-roll, what's the point in actually doing final color? Yeah. Um, you know, if if we're not sure about the song selection, you know, we I think we've even sent options. multiple cuts mm -hmm. with different music, and it's amazing how much music can. Mm -hmm. You know, let's talk a little bit about music licensing. No, no. <laughs> so I can go ahead. <laughs> I I because I wonder. I, I I feel like at this point, like everybody knows that you can't use pop popular music without properly licensing it. Most do, but then occasionally I just kind of find myself surprised by someone who I feel like should know better. Like, can you put some ZZ Top in there? Right. And why is it I always can, ZZ Top? but the top? budget is 20 grand for the whole thing. Yeah. And well, just, you know, it's just going on YouTube. Like, we don't... It won't go on it YouTube. Won't. <laughs> YouTube does a really good job of making sure that does not get published. YouTube is scary good mm -hmm. about catching that stuff. I mean, that is, that is AI working its best these days. <laughs> Uh, is the AI that YouTube has <coughs> listening for piracy? Piracy, yes. And you know, it, you've got different different levels. Sometimes they'll just monetize your content. Yeah. Right, which means they get to put ads, and then the the music publisher gets to make the money from that ad. Mm -hmm. You don't get to make the money. But you know, uh, God forbid, one of your competitors' ads comes up, and if YouTube <laughs> is doing it right, one of your competitors' ads could totally come up during your video mm -hmm. on YouTube. Um, so, you know, just don't expect that popular songs can be used without the license, without the proper licensing. And if it's really popular, that stuff can be really expensive. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could potentially get like, you could get maybe like a one year license, uh, limited use, like non-internet broadcast, like to be used at a one time live event mm -hmm. of a song from say, I don't know, Soul Asylum. Um, for like 500 bucks. Mm -hmm. But if you want, once you want to either make that a broadcast ad or put it on the internet, all Feature of a sudden the, the, that, that $500 is like $20,000. Yeah. Uh, so that's why there are libraries of what's called royalty free music where you basically pay a <coughs> $49 or $499 license to use it however you want to use it is kind of the way that it's going. It's all priced differently. Just for the clients out there, it's, it could depend on how many employees you have, your revenue, your... Usage. Usage. Internet yep, only. Internet and broadcast TV. Is this a nonprofit? Yeah. Is this personal use versus commercial use? Um, so, you know... Uh, but licensing isn't the only option, right? No, because you can also hire a composer 
to create Which a custom. Which I suppose is licensing in some way. You're well, yeah. Them to but you've got a lot more control. It's not necessarily more expensive mm -hmm. um, than some of the other options out there. You know, and, and a, a lot of, I mean, if you think about it, a lot of the ads you see on TV, it's a popular song, but it's, it's someone's cover version of it. Because, and I won't go into a music industry 101 lecture here, but I mean, there are two different kinds of licenses. There's basically the performance license and the writing license. So it may be really expensive to have the Rolling Stones version of a Rolling Stones song, but it could cost you less money to have a no-name band cover of a Rolling Stones mm -hmm. song because you only have to pay the writing license to the Rolling Stone, and then the <coughs> performance license is actually from this no-name band who can't ask for the same money mm -hmm. that the Rolling Stones do. Um, as example, so that's why in a lot of the ads you'll hear, that "Oh, I know that song, but I haven't heard this version mm -hmm. before." That's exactly what they've done. Um, but again, this goes back to the audio watermarks. Usually, they're using a library, and there's some kind of audio watermark in mm -hmm. there, you know. And but it's amazing what different songs can do to the feel of a piece. Mm -hmm. Even yeah. if your content cut is the same, your B-roll is the same, your color is the same you listen to two different songs and you can get a totally different feel yeah. out of it. Um, okay. So I've approved a content cut as a client. Okay. I've approved kind of a creative cut. Includes the color, animation, yeah, um, music. And then um, I've said, yep, this is the song we want to use. Um, <coughs> I don't like the b-roll at 37 seconds and a minute 12 mm -hmm. can you find something else here's what i don't like about it um and so then at least the way we operate we would then send a final cut for approval mm -hmm. which to me always feels like it's that asterisk level of revisions like we're saying okay we've executed all of the feedback that we agreed to execute we've discussed i think that's another point too is don't just lob emails back and forth with notes. Yeah. Plan to have a discussion about each of the notes because there's so much that can be interpreted multiple ways. Especially through email. Especially yeah. through email. So, if and if you're providing problems instead of solutions, then there should be a discussion with the producer to say, here's how I'm going to resolve that. Does that work? Mm -hmm. Yes. So you're kind of eliminating a lot of this like back and forth of minuscule changes you know, here's what we're gonna do for this note, here's what we're gonna do for this note, here's what we're gonna do for this note. So then as a client, you get this final cut for approval. I kinda asterisk that one because it's basically like the client's last chance to say, oh, you know what? I totally missed this on the last one, but our CEO's name is misspelled. Mm -hmm. Or it's kind of like an errors and omissions check. Mm -hmm. But the agency is basically saying, we think this is done, this is ready to go. It's your responsibility, Mr. or Mrs. Client, to make sure that we didn't miss anything mm -hmm. here. Um, so, like, we kind of ring the bell when we deliver final cuts, even though they're still for approval, because with our process, we know that we've addressed everything, and super rarely do we get back, you know, hey, I thought we were going to do, you know, where we missed something yeah. or something yeah. like that. So it's, it's an opportunity to catch anything, but it's not like another full opportunity to say, um, what if we changed like section two and swapped it with section four? We've already done that. Right. We've, we've already, again, speak now forever, hold your peace. You already had that opportunity. And we can go down that road, but things are going to change. Exactly. There, there might be right. additional and, cost, and, and, additional and you time. Have, yes, you have the right, but you know, 
you're, you're talking about scope creep at that point. And, and so it's important to talk about each producer and agency defines revisions differently too. Right? We define them as you know different stages. There, there are certain revisions at different stages of the process so that you're not just getting a first cut of a video and, and hearing the script for the first time. Mm -hmm. um, so, okay, so we've approved it. And then I just wanna tease our next episode, which is distribution. Yeah. And so we'll Let's. get into this in, in more uh, in more detail in, in our next episode, distribution. But what should a client expect to receive from their producer when a video's done? Invoice. Yeah, uh, of course, they've probably paid up front. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's the standard. That's industry standard. It is very much a full, standard. Full payment up front. Um, well, of course they're going to expect the video. Mm -hmm. um, like on a DVD. Yeah, a, yeah, hard copy VHS. sent through the mail. Yeah. No, I mean there are all different types of exports. You know, the different ways that you can export a video. You can export it as a really huge file. Typically, that's a .mov yeah. um, a <clears throat> that has yeah. a whole bunch of stuff. Otherwise, it might be something that's compressed a bunch. Um, what you lose in some of that compression, most people never really notice. No. Like the, the, the streaming that we have today and the algorithms that they use to compress stuff and stream it is really phenomenal. That, that's the thing is, is most of the video hosting platforms will take whatever file you upload and turn it into and recompress it into whatever 1080p 4k 720p whatever so most it's of going the hosting to play. platforms will yeah but linkedin may not may That's not true. do it as well they may not take a dot mov yep. I, I can't remember um so depending on who's doing what uh, F, you know, once the videos are done, um, if you as a client are doing all the distribution, uploading, tagging, titles, all that stuff, um, we have a certain standard that we've set for ourselves and our, for our clients. And that includes quite uh, a nice little gift basket yeah, <laughs> of deliverables. Yes. A, a digital gift basket. Um, so ultimately we're sending um, the the final video, uh, usually in an uncompressed and a compressed format, we're sending um, all the thumbnails that we've agreed to during <clears throat> during the distribution strategy portion. Uh, we've defined where things are going to be distributed and what assets will be needed for that. So we may have additional thumbnails, some with play buttons, some without, some that are gifs, some that are gifs, some that are not. Um, <clears throat> uh, titles, tags, descriptions, all those things. We also, we, a lot of editors and a lot of agencies don't feel this way, but you're the client. You paid good money for this, for this content. Everything we've done, you've paid for. So here is all of the project files. Here are all of the, the raw video assets that we've collected all the scripts, all the meeting notes or whatever, like we provide that to the client. We want them to to get what they pay for and ultimately if they decide they wanna do some of the stuff, like little tweaks in-house, they do it at their own risk. But more often than not, we get we still get the call back 
we don't, you know, to, to make a change or update something. Yeah. Um, I just don't like the idea of holding things hostage from a client. No. And a lot the, I don't know, a lot of people in the industry don't necessarily feel that way. No, I, and, and I, I think the mentality there is if I hold all of the project files, then if they need to update something, they have to come to me and I can get more business. Yeah. Um, okay. But like, I, I feel, I feel like maybe that's a relic of the like, you know, the cost of video is a thousand dollars per running minute kind of mm-hmm. like maybe that made sense when it was being captured on film, film or video yeah. and, and it was, you know, it wasn't as digital and it wasn't as democratized as it is now, yeah. but like just, just be good to your clients and give them, you know, give them the, the work product, not just the final deliverable. And sometimes that, that may end up costing more. So you charge for it. Sure. But to, to give them that option, I think, is only appropriate. Yeah. And, well, and, and, you know, I mean, the standard in our contract is that they provide a hard drive for us to put all that mm-hmm. stuff on. Yep. You know, and if we didn't have that, we would probably charge an extra $250 plus markup. So it's just easier for us to say, you give us a drive that's a terabyte or more, you know, whatever is yep. needed. And we'll put all that stuff on there. And we organize the stuff so you'll be able to figure it out. Yep. And if you can't, you know, in a year or whatever, give us a call. Uh, and you know we can help you through it, but I mean, you know, I, I don't I don't know how often any of our clients have just you know updated stuff themselves. They usually I just end up coming back to us, yeah, because we can do it quicker and we know where everything is. Yeah, familiarity with the project. Okay, um, so we'll talk more about you know those elements and 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 why we like to provide all of that, including like descriptions and titles and things like that. I think that's another thing too is. If you're change your file name when you hand it off to a client, yeah. for all of you freelancers out there, don't give them, you know, uh, Bob's interview. Bob's interview ver to dash final final third final dot mov mm-hmm. because unfor- and if you're a client and you get one of those, good God, rename the file before you upload it to something, it's just so annoying to see like a video player embedded on a website and you know, the title is over the preview <coughs> thumbnail and it has just the file name. And it's just so unprofessional. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Plus all, it doesn't help agents, with search in any way. Yeah, agencies, producers, freelancers out there who are listening, name the files some real world kind of thing. Ideally that's something that you've established through the strategy because that goes into the whole SEO part of it. but. Um, you know, and, and you don't need to make those up, but at least ask your client, hey, what do you want this to be called when I hand it off? Um, okay, so that was kind of a peek behind the curtain at post-production. A mm-hmm. uh, little bit about how to be a good client. Love to hear any questions that anyone has from either side. You know, as a freelancer, how do I, you know, help my clients be better as a client? what are some other ways that I can be a better client or this scenario always pops up. I, I'd love to hear those kinds of questions. If you had a thought on GIF or GIF, or if you um, had a guess as to what the, our euphemism ring the bell means, we'd love to hear what you think. It's not what you think. No. Or Far is from it? it? No, it's not. It's not what you think. Oh, maybe it is. <laughs> um, it's just a bell. Yeah. Well, then I'd like to thank our sponsor again. Mm, yes, please. 
Bone Spurs, Plantar Fasciitis, Morton's Neuroma, Foot Pain Like a Runaway Train, Try Soul Asylum, Orthotics and Insoles Priced So Low It's Insane! Visit our website for a location near you, soulasylum.net, that's S-O-L-E-A-S-Y-L-U-M.net. Click on the microphone in the corner and type in storyboard for a special gift. Soul Asylum. All right. Um, I think this is the part where we're supposed to say, I see, I don't understand saying subscribe, rate, and review at the end of the episode, because if anybody's made it this far, Mm -hmm. I feel like they're kind of committed. I feel like the like self-promotional subscribe, rate, and review is something you should do like at the beginning of the episode. Okay. I don't. I always. Just, I don't know. But I think it's because actually, someone reminded me doesn't. I, I'm, I've never done it because someone said so at the end of the episode. It's true. I think it's actually in the iTerms, uh, iTunes terms, an agreement where. You actually have to say subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. I think you have to say it like that. I mean, that's the only reason I can figure out what anyone says it like that. But anyway, um, we would like for people to subscribe, rate, and review. Um, some reviews would be nice, actually. I think we've only got one or two. And I know one of them Several was Dave. through email. Yeah. That, like, just we, put it... That's true. We've heard some good... Can we take some of the email feedback we've gotten on our users. own? <laughs> yeah, like, I could actually review it myself, taking someone else's review that we've Or, you know who you are. Just go to iTunes and type in what you sent us. Hell, find the email you sent us. Copy. Copy. Go to iTunes. Paste. And then submit. Yeah.